Blog Talk Radio. Our cameras will have seven days inside, 70 hours. Once we enter the first lesson of Rikers, be ready for the unexpected. Stand by for one second. Stand by for one second. There's an alarm. During our time there, nine different alarms locked down. The numbers that are being deployed right now indicate something pretty big, doesn't it? On the other side of this maze of doors, the question we came here to answer. Is it really possible to change this notorious, explosive place? We start with the treatment of the most violent inmates. A door opens. Listen. The sound of solitary confinement. Across Rikers, while we're there, 165 people locked up to 23 hours a day in concrete cells. What'd you say? You're given restriction, no interviews through the cell doors. It could create heightened turbulence. This is the punishment for inmates who attack officers or each other, fighting, slashing with hidden weapons. As we said, their entire world is concrete walls, a toilet, a sink, no TV, cut off from most human interaction. It's not even possible to see through the opening on this door. And the one hour spent outside for recreation, locked separately into an outdoor cage. In decades past, Rikers used unlimited isolation as punishment. Two officers are the only regular human contact for up to 50 men. Any sounds I hear, door, cell doors open or anything, we just want to make sure that you're going to be okay. And as the officers serve lunch, through a cell opening, a milk carton. The carton becomes a projectile, a giant spray of urine and feces. Come back, move, move, move. I'm supposed to feed a guy that's throwing stuff out of the cell at me. I'm supposed to feed him, you know. Right. Got to still remain professional and, and do a job. At Rikers, it's called splashing. And Officer Graham tells me every space around the cell door puts him at risk for the weaponized body fluids. We probably fill it halfway, wedged into the door, and you walk past. Mess. He says he knows people across America have seen those videos from Rikers in the past, officers using brute force. But he has a challenge. Everybody has an opinion, you know, about what goes on and stuff in here, but nine times out of ten, anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer. They've never even been in a facility. But again, a fundamental question. Do long stretches in solitary make inmates less dangerous or more? Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, I'll tell you what, if you've heard of a story or a book which is on the bestsellers list justice restored mr how waltz is going to tell his story did an interview with him a delightful man and a supporter truly of the rp6 and changing the criminal justice system he's going to be joining us tonight here on ajc radio as we talk about justice restored and the problems we face in our criminal justice system folks hang on to your seats ajc radio kicks off right now And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, 
Dennis Merritt and William Williams, and we're delighted to have you joining us tonight as we get ready for a very insightful conversation with Mr. Harold Watson, author, a man that was wrongfully uh, convicted. I don't believe, and I'm going to change that, I don't even think he was convicted and did uh, some time in prison, I believe, Lisa, seven years without a conviction. Uh, Doesn't make a lot of sense. He's going to tell his story tonight, and it's going to be a very, very good interview. So, folks, hang on in there with us. Uh, Feel free to dial into the show tonight, 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. And, Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners, please. Yes. Uh, None of us at AJC Radio are are lawyers, and we do not provide legal advice. Although we go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a lawyer if you want legal advice. In this time of misinformation, government-controlled media, and government corruption, I'm sorry, it is sometimes hard to get to the truth, but we must try. It's not our intention to libel or discriminate against anyone, and the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. We know that you have many choices in radio stations, and as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending some of your evening with us. Hey, and thank you for that, Lisa. And again, uh, going to be really a humdinger tonight as we have learned from, and I've actually read the book from Powell Waltz, uh, Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration in America. And I definitely recommend that folks get out and read this book. It's a good read, very informative, but it tells it like it is. And uh, we, are, we are very, very appreciative. We consider how uh, 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 family uh, and a dear friend of uh, Just Cause and AJC Radio, and we appreciate him and his efforts to bring about change in this country. Uh, as we get ready to get into conversation, William, regarding the criminal justice system, some really horrendous acts by the federal government uh, in regards to Mr. Waltz that prompted him to write this book, and he's written many, uh, but this book really goes to the heart uh, of the condition of this criminal justice system and to what lengths people will go to uh, to really do wrong and to undercut and to stab people in the back and to fabricate things that are not even real. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's definitely we need to understand and embrace the fact that they have a win at all cost mentality. And, you know, this is what happened in his case. And we're going to go through it. He's going to be able to talk about it more. But it's amazing at the lengths that they will go to to manufacture uh, a proof and try and attempt to prove a wrongfully convict people. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a travesty. No, without question. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Yes, when you put a man in prison for seven years and he never went to court, there never was a conviction. I mean, this is amazing. This tells you that this, this justice uh, system of ours is truly broke well, let's and take, it needs to be fixed. Dennis, let's take justice off of it we have a system there and i'm go. saying injustice <laughs> an injustice system if exactly. that's the word exactly. uh go ahead Dennis, finish your thought no no you, you hit it right on the spot i mean that just does not make any sense and uh and, and for and for nothing no repercussions i like to I, I can't wait till he uh he comes on and and tell us his story but wow were there any pre- repercussions whether did, did he get any uh you know, did they pay him for his uh, the, the the years that he spent in prison, uh, falsely accused? I mean, it's just crazy. Well, again, I'm a, I'm going to let him uh, 
uh, tell that story. Uh, and, and again, this was a pre-tape interview we had about, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, because he's, of course, internationally now, uh, time and things like that. But he, I'll tell you what, that interview was one of the most profound interviews uh, that I've given uh, or, or that we've actually conducted here on AJC Radio that really goes to the heart of, of what this man endured. And uh, I don't think people have a clue just to what length government will go. And we are very much aware of that with the IRP set. Exactly. Uh, and, and we're going to be talking about that during this program tonight, Cliff, is, as you see – if, the, if you can go to a federal prison and not be convicted of a crime, there is a serious problem within the justice system of this country. That is, I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my hands around that, that I haven't been convicted. A judge has not given an order, but I'm, I'm being bo- moved around for seven years? Right. I mean, in, in, in Howell's case... I mean, there was no conviction. There wasn't even a charge. He was just arrested, pretty much kidnapped. And how are you arrested with no charge? Yeah, no charge. Kidnapped, put in prison, and then moved around from place to place uh, for seven years. But, you know, uh, we're grateful that, you know, he is out because they, after putting him in federal prison, says, okay, well, we don't have a case. We don't even have any charges against you. So we're going to let you out. So there's no retribution. There's no apology. There's no anything. It's just like, well, we're done. We're done making your life miserable. So we're going to go ahead and uh, and give you your your freedom back. But you know, it's just the the basis of the system is broken. It's 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 corrupt. When you can do something like that, and the people who did it aren't held accountable, those are the type of things that uh, need to be dealt with in 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 this in the criminal so-called justice system because that. There is no way that any part of that was legal, and, uh, and Howell will deal with that. And uh, you know, basically, from a from a law perspective, of how illegal it was. But again, no one was held accountable for his incarceration, and that just doesn't make an ounce of sense. And uh, again, I'm gonna let Howell tell the story. We're not gonna get too much into that right now, uh, but we will be bringing that to you as we get into this conversation. And uh, William, as we are talking again about the IRP six. Uh, injustice restored in the third chapter. Uh, Al, how uh, Walt, excuse me, actually addresses and tells a story of what happened to these men. And again, we're grateful for what he has done to get the word out about the injustice. And you know what I'm learning is that until you walk the road of injustice, people simply don't get involved until they have gone through it themselves and say, "Look, I understand." that we must fight for each other and work together because how is one of many uh, cases, thousands of cases that nonsense has gone on, whether it's a lack of evidence, whether it's a lack of, you can't even create a theory of a case. In the case with the RP6, they created a theory and basically made a production step by step to convict these men. This is the reality. They created a theory as they went. Yep, you're right. Okay, because there was no crime there. No, and I mean, the way I look at it is they planted, they allowed the prosecution to plant breadcrumbs to lead the jury to where they wanted, and they suppressed everything that the that the defense offered as evidence. Now, when you when you do that, it's definitely you're given a one-sided view 
of everything. You're discrediting every, what the defendant's saying, which is which is wrong by the theory. You know, they're they are innocent until proven guilty. But what if when when you are denied the right to present your case and present evidence, and basically you're denied a right to re, to represent yourself and just voice say, listen, this is who we are. This is what we're doing, and you let you let the prosecution present their case and take it to uh, and give evidence to the jurors that leads them to the conclusion that they want. I mean, we even, we know firsthand with IRP six that that our interviews with the jurors had said if we'd seen this, you know, it could have been a different outcome. They actually asked, "Where is the defense? Where when is the defense going to present their argument? Where's their evidence?" You know, so they're basically looking for the other side. It was not allowed. So, I, I, I've truly lost total faith in our justice system. Again, especially with the IRP6 case, I tell you, that alone has truly uh, opened my eyes to see that, you know, you're, you're guilty. I, I don't care what no one says. You know, the, the whole thing for a prosecutor is to get a conviction. That, that's all it's about. It's not how he gets it. Or how she gets it, because they'll t- they'll do it by any means, and to you know deny uh, key witnesses to hold back evidence and 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 not to be able to get a fair trial, that tells you this system is truly broken. Until like you said, Lamont, America come together and cry out. Don't wait till it's in your backyard. Don't wait till it's your mother, brother, sister. Do something about it now. Start speaking out against. You know, all this, 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 just, I mean, it's just total, it's almost like the justice system has nothing to do with actually finding out what happened, what's the truth. It's about who's the best at presenting their lie and who's the best at making a juror say, I believe you rather than them. I mean, it's it's just complete garbage. And again, I, I think, Hal is on to something very powerful here, and we have lived this thing uh, with the RP6. I've lived it with my wrongful conviction doing seven years for a crime I never committed uh, in the state of Colorado. Uh, so what you find is, is that this is something that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, this particular book, Justice Restored, is a powerful uh, manifesto showing why and how justice was removed from America's criminal justice system with with a precise roadmap for its restoration. Uh, criminal justice reform has moved to the center of our national conversation about mass incarceration, race, poverty, economic fairness, but there's been an over, uh, uh, if you will, arching look uh, at how it was the erosion of the rights that stole justice from us in the first place. That's a good point, and this is again from Howard how Wolf's book. Uh, so, Rights, number one, was the, was the foundation of how the justice system began to decay. Men's rights being taken, the right to a fair trial, to right, a right to due process, being racially profiled. How addresses all of these issues uh, in this book. And again, I'm going to recommend, folks, that you go get it. Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration. Uh, and that is, again, by Hal Waltz, author of that, a great man that suffered some huge injustices. And we're going to, again, be bringing his his uh, interview here exclusively only can be found here on AJC Radio. We're going to give that to you uh, here shortly. Let's go to some current news really quick. 
apparently there's been a shooting uh, in Chicago. Surveillance video shows the chase that led to a deadly police shooting. The Independent Police Review Authority released three videos from November 23rd, 2016. It shows Kajan Ray running away after a squad car pulled up to him and Chicago Police Sergeant John Polos chasing him. A dispatch recording was also released and involved officer radios to dispatch. Shots fired by police. He's got a gun. Polos would eventually shoot Ray in the back. Remember that. Shot him in the back, but one of the released videos shows that. In his report, Polis said that Ray did not follow verbal commands and pointed a gun at him twice. But guess what? No gun was ever found. Uh, police Superintendent Eddie Johnson relieved Polis wow. of his police powers pending the outcome of the IPRA's investigation. It was an update of a previous shooting, uh, and the videotape, I guess, has just now been released. Okay, Cliff, I'm going to let you chime in on this one. Wow. The man is shot in the back. Now, I'm, I'm curious, how is he pointing a gun at an officer if he's running away from him? And see, these <laughs> officers with these, these canned statements and these phrases, uh, he's got a gun. You, you say he's got a gun over dispatch. So there you like, well, I told dispatch he had a gun. That's why I shot him. So whether he has one or not, then you're just hoping, okay, well, hopefully no video comes up, and all I got to do is say, well, I told dispatch he had a gun 30 seconds before I shot him. This, I felt my life and the life of my fellow officer was in danger. Up his back. It, yeah, yeah, it's like they are just taking these catchphrases and saying, hey, this is my opportunity to, to lay another human being down. This is my opportunity to shoot somebody in the back, and all I got to do is say I was in fear for my life or I was in fear for the life of my fellow officer. Now, we're going to see now how many of these cases that we've seen over the last three years since, since uh, uh, Trayvon Martin, how many officers, we, I mean, we know Zimmerman didn't, Zimmerman didn't get convicted, but how many of these officers that were brought up on charges that went to court, how many of them have been convicted? You're talking about the, the, uh, the other man in Chicago that shot the kid 17 times. Where's the charges against him with video with the kid running the other way? Right. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there he 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 had the right to shoot. Why? I felt like I was in danger, or my fellow officer was in danger. He was running the other way from you okay. with something in his hand. It's and, ridiculous. Well, the video shows that eventually the officer shot Ray in the back on one of the videos that was released, but apparently there's no video that can confirm that the man had a gun, which means Polis. Sergeant Polis from the Chicago Police Department lied. Right, and see, they'll say, well, there's no video to confirm that he had a gun. Well, they'll use the other way. Well, there's no video to confirm that he didn't. So that's why I shot him. And, and him making that statement to dispatch, I'm chasing him down. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. I'm going to get him. If he, where is your partner? Why do these police go on these one-man chases? It's all about as soon as I get around the corner, I'm laying this young man down, and nobody will be able to tell me I didn't have the right to. Well, I'll tell you what. Look, we're starting 2017. Not yet. This is the end of uh, 2016. But here we go again with starting an epidemic or continuing the epidemic that started, as, as Cliff alluded to, uh, three years ago with Trayvon Martin, and people went on a shooting frenzy uh, just killing black people. 
I mean, I don't, I don't understand how and where's the body cam? Well, I mean, the same thing happened in, in, in Charleston with the officer in Charleston. That was caught on camera. The, uh, oh, where he dropped yeah, the, yeah, where where he, he, the, he shot him in the back. I believe he shot him five five times or something along those lines. I don't have the numbers. But we but it was actually caught on video. The police officer uh, was later, I think, last, the, the end of last year, uh, that led to a mistrial because they couldn't get a, a, a decision from the jury. And so they're going to retry that. Oh, That's, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You remember, mm-hmm. remember the case I'm talking yeah. about? Mm-hmm. Same situation. He shot him in the back. The video showed him shooting him in the back, showed him dropping something suspicious by the victim and saying that he feared for his life. So he could excuse the fact that he shot him because, and here's what's crazy. You are seen on camera dropping an item, planting evidence. How does a grand, how does a, was, was it a grand jury of the DA? That couldn't come back with an indictment? No, oh, they had the indictment. So they came an indictment, yes, they but they're in. saying it was a mistrial. It, it was, was a hung mistrial, jury. A hung jury. That's wow. insane. Wow. How is that even possible? Now, if it's a black man with a gun that's shooting a cop and planting stuff, guess There's what? There's no hung jury. Guilty. Oh, yeah. If, if he makes it. Probably if, he, if he makes it. Oh, if he even makes yeah, it out alive. Yeah, if he makes it out alive, yeah. Wow. Unbelievable, folks. This is can, to be continued because... I don't like to be the, the bearer of bad news or doom, if you will, but America is not getting it yet. How many more people, and Cliff, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you got the, uh, the Aurora Theater shooter in body armor with automatic weapons. Is that correct? Yeah, standing outside at his house, re- reloading with AR-15. Reloading. Body armor, helmet, everything. The cops come to him, hey, we're going to need you to put the gun down, step away, put your hands up. We need to arrest you uh, nice and calmly. We got a man in is it South Carolina that, that went to the church. Yes. Goes yep. into a church. Yep. With a Glock 45. With a Glock. And, and steps out of the door. He lives. But you got a man that, that has a gun in his pocket that's not a threat, that takes Four rounds to his chest, point range, and he's dead. But guess what? There's a difference in the story. He's black. Wake up, America. We have a problem in this country. On the other side of the break, we're coming back with our very special guest, Harold Waltz. We're going to dig into this criminal justice system that, without question, has lost her way. Lady Justice, where are you? We need you right now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back as we kick off with Arthur Howells. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, We have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we are, we have more people locked up than China. China 
who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the Shores Treatment and Recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion, for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305. Two six two one. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod. But to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now, healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. 
KJC Radio and our team extend a personal invitation to all the members of Congress to be a part of this dynamic initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We welcome you, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you might be, we join together to bring to the attention of the American people the positive things that our elected officials are doing on Capitol Hill. Tonight, AJC Radio salutes you, and we extend that invitation to all the members of Congress as we continue to shine the light called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It's just going to get better from here. Let's get on board. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio. Normally when you hear that music, justice is somewhere, and somebody's getting ready to get got, pardon the English. But I'll tell you right now, uh, we're glad to have you tonight. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and we are very honored tonight uh, bringing to you Howell Waltz, the author of a new book called Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration. And we're going to get ready to get into that conversation. Uh, but we wanted to uh, make a point. We were talking before we went to the break about the shooting uh, in the Chicago area. The young man that was shot was 19 years old, William. 19 years old. Just uh, your closing thoughts on that story. This is a kid. I mean, it's sad. But, you know, like you said, it's a continuation of some of the most just horrific acts. I mean, these... These kids haven't even started living, and you take their life from them, you shoot them in the back, and then think you're going to get away with it. It's sad. Well, but you know what? Guess what? They have been getting away with they it. Have. They so have. So their thought process is based upon what's going on in this country. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we're going to have some serious problems in 2017 if we don't take a look at it. Right now, with no further ado, we're going to bring in the interview uh, uh, with Mr. Howell Waltz, and uh, I'll tell you what, folks, grab everybody you know, because you're not going to believe this story is even real, that something like this could actually happen in America, but it actually did. Here's that interview with Mr. Howell Waltz. Sit back and enjoy. And hello, Howell, how are you doing today? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Lamont? I'm doing pretty good. Okay, first, uh, Hal, tell us a little bit about Justice Restored. Uh, What was the passion behind that? What motivated that, uh, that put you in a position to say we have to do something uh, and speak out about some of the things that are happening within our criminal justice system and within our nation? Well, you are familiar with my personal story, which I am trying to leave behind and focus on the positive on what we can do to heal the system rather than just whining about what they did to me. But 
you know, of course, being wrongfully held in prison for seven years without ever being convicted by any court of jurisdiction was what got my attention initially. But there were two horrifying revelations that prompted the writing of Justice Restored. One was when I read an article originally by Leonard Kaplan in the New York uh, uh, Magazine, but it was quoting a study from Columbia University Law School where they had determined that over a 23-year period in capital cases, the prosecutors and the judges got it wrong 73% of the time. Additionally, 9% of those people that were being tried for their life were actually innocent and provably so when the prosecutor filed the charges and put them on trial. There is no occupation on earth where you can get it wrong 82% of the time and keep your job that I know of other than being a U.S. judge or prosecutor. So when you get it wrong eight out of 10 times when you're killing someone, uh, that's that was just beyond the pale. And I know from working on over 400 criminal cases personally over the last decade that they're, they're no more attentive to rights and procedures when they're not putting the person to death. In fact, they're even more lax. The second article was an admission by the Department of Justice and the FBI stating that they had falsified the evidence using their elite forensic units uh, uh, for a period of 20 years. And they've been caught so many times, they finally had an independent study. And it was almost every case, quote, they had falsified the evidence. Joining those two things together, Lamont, if government admits that it lies in almost every case, and Columbia Law School and the courts themselves have now admitted to getting it wrong eight out of 10 times, why do we even call it a system of justice? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, uh, as we have been familiar with the problems within the criminal justice system, again, knowing your story uh, specifically uh, and reading uh, again, your reading. And ladies and gentlemen of America, you want to go out and get justice restored. Uh, it's one of the most informative reads that uh, that I've ever read. Uh, and it's to the point. You want to go out uh, and, and, and how, where is that available? I presume everywhere where books are sold. Well, it, it, it should be now. As you know, I, I live in Eastern Europe. The harassment became too great for speaking out on this issue. But it's, a, it's number one on Amazon uh, and Kindle now in the categories of law, politics, and legislative. So that's probably the easiest place, but it's also being shipped to bookstores across America now. Okay, good deal. And our readers, uh, listeners, definitely need to go out and get that book. Uh, Howard, I want to, I want to address a, one, another, a portion in your book. As, as you know, very familiar with the IRP6 uh, story, the injustice that has happened and has occurred there. Uh, tell us a little bit that what prompted you also to feel a need to tell uh, brief in brief the injustice that happened to the IRP-6. Well, I could only fit 10 stories into the book to buttress each of the arguments for reform. And if IRP-6 case isn't one of the 10 worst, I don't know which, which might be. You have all the elements with which I've become so familiar in these studies over a decade. Uh, it, it's the same thread of 
prosecutorial misconduct and in cases such as this one, outright judicial lawlessness. I, I mean, what Judge Christine Arguella did to these men, uh, she should not be practicing law beyond the bench. I mean, she should be in prison because she's basically put six honest good men uh, away for a decade or more uh, each and and they had no business even being arrested. It was not even the purview of federal government. It was her job to stop this injustice. So this story had to be included, Lamont. There was just no way around it. It it is a, it is textbook criminal prosecution. And uh, and I, I agree with that. Uh, and that term could not fit better. Uh, criminal prosecution, uh, really. Yeah, that, that, Quotes, <laughs> Lamont. Let's put quotes around that criminal because it's the criminals that did the prosecuting, not those Absolutely. fine men that were sitting no, at no. the defense table. No, no, I agree with that, and and that's something that uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, our society uh, and people just do not want to believe corruption is on that level. No matter how the statistics show, uh, prosecutional misconduct in our current court system these days. No matter how many wrongful convictions come out of uh, out of American prisons every day, every week, every month, people are being set free because of wrongful convictions. And no matter how compelling the statistics are, it's like we are blinded by a society that is stuck on the fact, well, no, if you go to prison, you deserve to be there. If, you're, if the prosecutor brings a case, they, they must have thought you must have done something wrong. That way of thinking and that mindset has got to be eliminated from the minds of the American people uh, because it simply is not true. Your thoughts on well, that? Well, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I believe that. Every member of my family believed that with all our hearts. If someone had told me my own story, I would have said that absolutely cannot happen in my, in my country. But I guess I should thank these dishonest prosecutors and corrupt judges because they have certainly built a market for for my book. I mean, I was more shocked than anyone when I got a call from the from the publisher saying it had become number one bestseller in all of its categories. I said, this is a joke. Let's wait till April 1st. But she said, no, this is not a joke. And I said, well, how can this be? I've done no advertising. You know, my other books have been minor successes. Justice Denied, a film was made about it, but I'm not a household name. And she said, you've been on the radio is you've had millions of people hear about the book coming out, and apparently the government's built such an audience for you, 71 million people convicted, and Lamont, all of their families know about how corrupt the system is now, too. So I guess that's how, you know, I mean, would you ever have believed that a book on mass incarceration could become a number one bestseller? Uh, probably not. Probably yeah. not. So I guess I ought to thank these corrupt people, but it it, it does not uh, slow me down from wanting to see every one of them pay a penalty for what they do to American citizens every day in almost every court across America. I say almost because I haven't found an honest one yet, but I'm still looking. Wow. And that's uh, that's profound. I mean, the majority and, you know, we hear this all the time that the majority of our criminal justice system is intact. I beg to differ uh, because I believe that the statistics uh, do not support that, that claim. Uh, you'll say that we have, for the most part, most prosecutors are right or, or, or honest people. Again, the statistics 
that do not support that claim. Based on the numbers of mass incarceration, it tells me if mass means huge, large, and if it's a large amount of people in prison that should not be there, there has to be a large amount of prosecutors that are responsible and judges that are responsible. You can't have a mass uh, statement and have a little, uh, have very, very small numbers of people within the prosecution and the, and, the, and the judges in this country in a small number. Those two things don't come together. If we have a small problem, do you agree with that? I completely agree. And instead of uh, calling it a system of justice and saying it is very much intact, we should call it a system of mass incarceration because that is wholly intact. That's all this is. It is a grinder. It is to take citizens living their lives and under a myriad of laws, 314,000 federal statutes now. There were only three in 1787, by the way, the three that are authorized by the Constitution. Um, that was published just a few days ago by the Heritage Foundation. We now have 314,000 ways Congress has made up to send us to prison. So it is not a system of justice. It is a system of mass incarceration. And also they have to use the word mass in our case because we're not only huge, we're the biggest in world and human history. No thug, no dictator, no evil empire has ever incarcerated more of its people than the United States of America and its last four presidents. That, that should wake up every American if nothing else does. We don't want to be the best at putting our people in prison. Let's find something else to be good at. No, absolutely. And, and how I'll tell you this, you were, uh, and, and, my, and this is what I'm really, really puzzled with, that um, how does a person spend seven years in prison without a conviction? With, well, that's a very good question, which the courts are now having to answer um, because I finally got a federal judge, as uh, you know, my story in Virginia, a uh, wonderful man, former federal judge Arthur Strickland, filed a habeas uh, petition into the courts of North Carolina saying, look, the docket sheet shows this man was never convicted by any court of jurisdiction. You threw him in jail and held him there for 87 months until Judge Strickland started complaining. And, and uh, now they're having to defend themselves. So once I got a powerful person like that on my side, like the IRP-6, hopefully Judge Sorokin will have the same effect on Arguela and these other bandits. But they couldn't answer, so government did not even respond. So I won by default. But after all these 56 federal crimes this judge and prosecutor committed against me, they just simply said, ah, well, okay, we got away with it for a decade. And they didn't even have the courage to respond. So it's, it's amazing and shocking at just how arrogant and aloof these people are from the law. But, but that stems back, if, if people listening want to know why, is because starting in 1967, these people judicially, not legislatively, judicially, they started making decisions from the bench to give themselves immunity. The prosecutors quickly said, you can't leave us out here on the line and in the front lines. So judicial decisions quickly followed after Pearson versus Ray, the first one. And now these two groups of people that get it wrong 82% of the time, even when they're killing someone, are completely immune. You can't do anything to them. They can't lose their job. 
unless they commit a crime outside of their duties as prosecutor or judge. It's, 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 think of what people would be like, human beings, and these are nothing but human beings dressed in pinstripes and black robes. Think of what human beings would do if there was no penalty, no matter how egregious their misconduct. What do you think our world would be like? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think a major problem in this country uh, is, again, the failure to speak out. And, and again, people are afraid to speak out about, about injustice. They're afraid to speak about corruption. And they're afraid of the United States government, no matter how you look at it, whether it's at the state level or the federal level. They got an issue with it, with government and judges and courts. It's an intimidating factor. We did a show uh, a little bit uh, at the end of last year, maybe September, uh, and we were discussing intimidation factor, the fear factor of America's right. criminal justice system. With Governor Bogdanovich's uh, uh, brother, and, and then I was on your show in April on that same topic. Yes. And I think that's something that – and let me ask you this, Hal. How do we get the country, uh, those that are in power, led in, in Congress, the, the, these people who make laws – and Congressman Rangel made a very a profound statement to me in an interview we did with him. And he said, take the questions – to the people that can produce the answers, and that's the legislation. Take it to them. Ask the questions, and take them to people who can, who can fix it. Congress has the power, so much power, to fix what is wrong within our system. How do we how get them to get up and say, you know what? This has to change. They're already talking about overcriminalization. They're already talking about mass incarceration. They're talking about all types of issues of criminal justice reform. What do we need to do to get them to take that next step to do something that has, makes an, that has an impact? Because they have the power to do it. Oh, there you have it. Wow. That's what I say to that. Uh, how is putting some knowledge down, Dennis, when you hear him talking about the specifics there, they're very clear. And this is coming from an experience this man has gone through, which automatically makes him an authority on this topic. Your thoughts on what you've heard thus far? Exactly. Uh, it, I mean, it's great conversation, and it's, it's truly have uh, – I'm learning as I'm listening to him. But it is so true how you can't give somebody, uh, you know, power that, that no matter what they do, they're immune to any, you know, prosecution themselves, or they're immune to uh, any fines, or, I mean, how do you do that? How do you give someone that much power that they can actually, you know, do their job illegally, and even if you catch them, nothing happens? Well, it goes against the entire fabric of justice, that one may be above the law over the other. If wrong is done... And you expect citizens to be held accountable for that wrong. How can you excuse? It doesn't matter what your title is. If a judge is corrupt and he's crooked or she's crooked, they should be bound by the law. We in our society, according to in America, you are held accountable for right and wrong actions, even non-criminal actions. You are held accountable 
for decisions that are right or wrong. There are ramifications as a result of our decisions and our choices. The problem, I believe, listening to how talk and to the point you just made, that is the core of the problem that we face. Exactly. It's, a, it's unequal justice, one for this group of people, one for this group. And as long as you have that, there will be no respect for the justice system in this country. That if an African-American goes into a courtroom, he is expected to get more time than the Caucasian, the white American. A judge can, do what he do what, do, can basically do whatever he wants to do because he wears a robe. He went to law school, so I'm excused. You can't come after me. A prosecutor is the same. But if, the, if a defense attorney is an attorney, a prosecutor is an attorney. They're both attorneys. Exactly. One's a prosecutor, one's a defense. A defense attorney is not given immunity if he, de- if he makes an action, Cliff. A defense attorney does not get the – see, this shows you how lopsided the system is. Right, and it, it's basically they – just like Howell said in that segment is that they set out to give themselves immunity. Why? Because – they said, hey, we're going to do things wrong. We're go. going to be corrupt, and we're the, we're the one who make the laws for and against ourselves. So let's make a law that whoever we have a vendetta against, whoever we feel like we want to put in prison for no particular reason, whoever we feel like we want to over-criminalize and uh, give a, a, a sentence that is out of control, and whoever we want to give the death penalty that no one can hold us accountable for. Wow. You don't give yourself immunity unless you know you're going to be like i am going to if i set out as a a citizen of the u.s and say i am i'm i'm going to make the law so that i can commit any crime but i don't have to be held accountable then my plan is to go commit a crime absolutely and that's exactly what they did and uh we have a we have a caller on the line we have the truth who wants to make a comment about uh what how has spoken about so for so far, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. You are live. Yeah. Thank you for taking my call. I want to say to Howell, when they came to arrest him, what were they What were they trying to accuse him of that they could come to arrest him? And did they take you straight to jail? I've never in my life heard of somebody who, who was in jail for seven years without a conviction. That is so unbelievable. And I was trying to put it together, so they just came and said they were that they were accusing you of something and, t- and take you straight to jail. Well, basically, what happened is Howell was in essence kidnapped by the federal government because of the things that he was exposing, because of the things that uh, that he stood against. They basically, yes, came, arrested him, quote unquote, and put him in federal prison. Moved him around for seven years from prison to prison, and he never was charged with any crime, ever. That, and they and that and uh, is, that is so insane to me. Yeah, yeah it it is, and it, it shows the corruption of the system. And then, how do you, as a prosecutor, as a judge, say I've given myself immunity so I don't have to be held accountable for doing such things? Because the the officers who arrested him. The prosecutor who uh, ensured that he was he was held uh, so-called for a hearing. And then the judge 
that allowed him to be put in jail with with no charges against him. And then, of course, those who, you know, the conspiracy against him that just moved him around from uh, from from prison to prison for seven years until, you know, he has taken the stance that he does now. He said he he uh, will not return to America until the judge that uh, did these things to him uh, and, and Howell's uh, words, quote, is rotting in hell. That is well, the stance that he has taken well, against the American um, so-called justice system. Yep. Well, you, okay, you, thank you. Mm-hmm. And thanks for the call. Um, go ahead, William. No, I, you know, uh, to answer the question about the charge, this is what yeah, I was what, just, yeah, right. Right, about the charge. It was, it, the charge was conspiring to defraud. U.S. government, but he was—he was, That's the statement. That, that was, he was the he, but statement. he was never officially. Never. Charged. No, he was never official with anything. But but I wanted to I wanted to just bring that up. Okay. You know. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so to defraud the government, apparently, the charge didn't stick. How do you? I, I, again, I'm as baffled as the caller. How do you go to prison? How are you jumping from county to county to location with no conviction, paperwork? Let me tell you a little bit of that. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. We're coming back with the next segment of the Howard Wolf's interview. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, buckle in because it gets more and more interesting as we go. Uh, But I will say this briefly. When you arrive to a jail, there is paperwork that follows you. There is a court order by a judge. It is a conviction to jail or definitely going to prison. You have a stack, a file. How didn't have a file? Because he never was charged. How did the system process how at each location? Wow. Doesn't make any sense. We're going to talk about that. We're going to bring back the next segment and hear a little bit more from Hal Waltz. Folks, hang on. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things. With the big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work. And at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother, and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. 
You can call us toll-free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. back in, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. I'm Lamar Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams. And tonight, boy, this is a, a show that will not be forgotten. Have the very uh, special privilege, if you will, of having Hal Waltz, author of Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration in America, and trying to find a way to get back on track and bring the word justice back into the criminal justice system. Uh, and boy, this is a good conversation. Right now, we're going to start part two of that interview uh, with Hal Waltz. Folks, sit, sit back and enjoy as we take it all in as much as we can. Here's, here's the interview right now. Well, while they were talking about it last year, they passed 456 more unlawful federal statutes with prison as a penalty. So it's talk is all we're getting from both sides of the aisle. Um, if you want to you know, give the listeners a quick rundown on what is legal, the United States Constitution, which is still supposed to be the ultimate law of the land, limits federal punishment of any crimes to piracy, counterfeiting, and treason. That's why there were only three federal felonies in 1787 when our country was created, because that's all that were allowed. Okay, in the 40s, uh, Roosevelt administration created Title 18, uh, which never passed, but then they filled it with criminal statutes. We're up to 4,056 there. And then the civil statutes, over 10,000 of them were assigned a criminal penalty outside of law, 14,000. But then what Congress did, and where I'm really troubled, and this may bring our country completely to the dirt, the ground, and in, is Congress then delegated its sole authority to make laws to 77 federal agencies that I can't find in my Constitution, and they now make these regulations, assign prison penalties, 
and over 70 of those agencies are now carrying guns and enforcing them. This is lawlessness at an unprecedented level. So we can, first of all, scale back what these people do by ending the money game as the ultimate end strategy, but it's hard to do. But it should go back to the way it was before uh, 1886, where it was a crime for anyone but you, me, a living, breathing human being living in the district of our congressman who was authorized to vote to be able to give them a dime. You didn't have to vote. You didn't have to register. But you should not be able to give them a penny unless you could vote for that person. That's what we need to go back to. The money game ends. People aren't paying like the prison industry is not pay, paying to pay the, create these crazy statutes. They're outside of constitutional authority. And then they're worried about you and me on Main Street instead of K Street and Wall Street. So that's that's the end game. But um, and, and I, you know maybe this new man will do something. I'm, I'm actually quite hopeful because we know what we've had and this should have been the most aggressive administration in United States history to fix this. And I've never been dis- more disappointed than anyone in my life. Okay. And then as we go into that, uh, in regards to president elect Trump, uh, he's weeks away from of course being sworn in as the president of the United States and how a lot of, concerns a lot of you know a lot of people do have some optimism a lot but a lot there's a lot of people that don't uh that are somewhat fearful of what lies ahead how what would you say to our listeners uh as we uh again uh have to go forward uh in making this country better and bringing some attention uh, to the new trump administration and what do you think is an idea President-elect Trump may be able to do to even address the issue, not only with the incarceration issue and possibly with the RP6 and men, countless others who have suffered at the hand of injustice. Well, I don't want to get any hate mail. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. So I've looked hard for the silver lining and what is a potential cloud. But to start yeah. with, once the man won, I started thinking, well, if anybody is so hated by Wall Street and K Street, Republicans and Democrats, the media, every enemy of the people, as I consider them all, then there must be something they are fearful of. And maybe it's his that he doesn't owe anybody and he could dismantle the things that are wrong, including this system of mass incarceration. So I started trying to change, change my thinking. And you know, you and I have been talking for the last few years. We've, we've, our arguments have been compassionate and constitutional arguments, you know, about the horrors of mandatory harsh sentencing and the damage done to our communities by the system of mass incarceration, the, the moral withering of the republic as it passed every dictator in history, putting its people in prison. All of these things that I thought would appeal to what I, growing up as a Democrat, would have been our, our issue. You know, but we got a businessman in there now. So let's think positively, and we got to change our game a little bit, Lamont, because this is the first businessman we've had in the White House since Harry Truman. The rest have been nothing but pure politicians, and look where they got us. But this is a real sure. businessman. This is a billionaire. This personal empire is larger than many countries. Uh, poor old Harry Truman just ran a hat shop. Let's talk business with the new president for a minute, because government His new business is nothing but a service provider, Lamont. It's nothing more, nothing less. 
government is supposed to provide a safe environment as we, we the customers enjoy our lives with as much unfettered freedom as possible. But we're also the investors in this business. We provide the cash which runs the business of America through the payment of taxes and fees. But we're also the customers on the other end. You know, I tried to think up an analogy. I couldn't sleep last night trying to think of it. And you know, the closest analogy to his new business is his old business. American government is like a casino. You know, you walk in the front door, you put up your money hoping to profit. You're the investor. And in this case, you're also the customer. Now, what do you think Mr. Trump would do if he found out that his casino guards had attacked, arrested, or imprisoned one out of every four of those investors who entered his casinos and then ruined them by illegally taking their right to ever gamble again or to earn enough money to play the game? Yeah, right. I, I think he'd be less than pleased to such ridiculous behavior. It's self-destructive and very bad business. So. So let's start there, because I think when Mr. Trump finds out that his last three predecessors of jail, criminalized and or disenfranchised, one in every four Americans, that's 70 million people who are his source of income. They've been robbed of their rights to participate in the process by voting. They'll never get a good job again where they could pay higher taxes. They got that big scarlet F on their chest for the rest of their life. And he's just going to sit there and say, they did what? It makes no sense. He will be horrified, I believe, and I know that for a fact because he is hearing this right now from one of my old college mates uh, who I still keep in touch with who is now an advisor. Now, if that happens and we get his attention on how we're wasting $350 billion a year putting and keeping American citizens away from the game, then we also need to go business lesson two needs to be opportunity cost, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So it's not just as 350 billion. And with, with your permission, I'd like to use the IRP six as a, a case in point of, you know, to talk to the listeners about opportunity cost of mass incarceration. May I? Sure. Yes, you may. Okay. Opportunity. I'm an economist by training, so forgive me, but uh, the, the, the dark science, but if opportunity cost is simply what would have happened if instead of spending this money in this way, I invested it in a different way or I did something different with it. And in this case, uh, we're, we're looking at the IRP-6. The Bureau of Prisons says it costs them 33000 per year to keep a prisoner. In places like New York, I know it's over 200000 but let's use the low number. So Judge Christine Arguello and Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch have already cost the American pay, taxpayer $330,000 out of pocket for each of these guys. Then you got cost of supervised release after. That's approximately $2 million they've wasted. On top of the in excess of $1 million taxpayer dollars they used to convict these guys. That's $3 million out of pocket. Now let's add the opportunity cost of this stupidity. And these are innocent, hardworking guys coming up with a solution to the gaps in America's security. I mean, they ought to be building statues to them, not putting them in prison. Right. All right. These six smart guys' solution was already being sold to city, states, and federal governments. I've seen the documents and the paperwork. I needed to actually write the part of Justice Restored about them. And they were going to make tens of millions of dollars. The best estimate I can come up with, Lamont, correct me if I'm wrong, we'll adjust the numbers, is about $40 million each year. They would have been 
producing in their company over many, many years to come. Absolutely. All right, it's the corporate tax rate and minor federal taxes. That, that's $16 million each year that they would have been contributing to the government. Now, you add all of these numbers up and their personal taxes, corporate taxes, everything, over what would be the expected life of the company. It's not the three million the U.S. government wasted to destroy six good people and their families. It's two hundred million in opportunity cost if they just left them the hell alone. Now, think about if their system had have been in place in places like Boston, and we'd avoided the Boston Marathon attack or the myriad of other attacks we've had. Think of the tens and tens and twenties and thirties of millions in these other cases that could have been saved in what happened later. Now, I hope that my old college buddy is listening tonight and will pass all this on to Mr. Trump because this is bad business. And it would be a very wise for President-elect Trump to go ahead and release the IRP-6 on January 21st with pardons and apologies for what his predecessor did to them. And I say include payments for the damages done and get them back to developing this program to plug up the gaps in our nation's security. That would be a very good business decision, not to mention the right thing to do. Oh, and I, I, go ahead, go ahead, Al. Well, I'm just, all right, now let's just expand it just a second longer. Now take the 70 million ruined lives, 70 million, one out of four that have been disenfranchised like the IRP-6. If all those people got their good name back, the Scarlet F was taken off of their chest. They were free to go about their lives and be productive citizens like these six men certainly were. You could wipe out the nation's deficit. I mean, these guys make a $200 million positive swing financially. Think about 70 million people that get their good name, their right to vote, their right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Think of what could be. So the opportunity cost of mass incarceration alone is enough to fix our nation's financial problems. That's huge. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you break it down like that, you know what? President-elect Trump looks at these numbers. That That's what we're hoping to do. We've got to explain it that way, though. And we need to get that message to President-elect Trump as soon as possible, because at the end of the day, we're looking at all of the money. Well, how do we get out of this mess? How, who's going to pay for it? You know what? If we would simply fix the mass incarceration problem, as you said, and the opportunity gap of money uh, that, can, that can be made, and, and the, it, that makes perfect sense. So while we have politicians talking about how do, who's going to pay for this, how are we going to get this done? One clear factor to get money back into the United States is to get these people out of prison Absolutely. and make them productive at what they already were, productive citizens of society. Well, and, and when like, you and you and, and people say, oh, well, you'll put the nation in danger. That's just nonsense because 
Kentucky was going bankrupt. So they let 22,000 people go, including people charged and convicted of, of rape and murder, arson, things like that. New York, 17,000. I don't know the exact number yet for Virginia, but they closed all their camps and, and small prisons in one sweep because they couldn't afford them anymore. They were, they were spending more on imprisoning their citizens than educating them. What happened in all every case now where there have been mass releases, crime has gone down, which would indicate to me that these people were never a danger in the first place. So when you add up the three plus million people arrested last year, the only ones that account for real crime against people is about four to five percent. Great. Lock them up for a reasonable period of time. Try to rehabilitate them. Let's spend a few of those bucks to help people, not hurt them. But my goodness, let my people go. Let the other seven plus million go and get that scarlet F off the other 70 million. It's the right thing to do. And it's the smart business decision. Let my people go. And you know what? And people will try to analyze it, but you'll find most solutions to problems are very simple. They're overthought. People overthink the solution. And what you just broke down to me, and I like you, uh, how to shoot that information, what we just went over, opportunity funding and all that. If you wouldn't mind, if you get a moment, shoot, that e- shoot me an email uh, with that information because I'm going to use that. We're going to put something together and hopefully can get it to President-elect Trump with those numbers to say, look, take a look at this. And here's the poster child for this, the IRP-6. And we can start doing one. We can start out the gate, get these men out, and let's build on this plat- platform of of what you've uh, broken down for us today. That to me, that's simple. That would be a great place to start, Lamont. I'll be happy to do that. And every figure that I've cited, I can trace back to some government statistic. I keep. I have a pile of. of all the records here, because that's all I took with America was a few clothes from America was a few clothes and all these files because a lot of these facts and figures I only could get one time. So I've had to keep the sources and, and that's, you know, I had to go through all of that with my editors on Justice Restored before they would publish it because they simply could not believe these numbers. I said, well, they came from the U.S. government, most of them from the Bureau of Statistics and, you know, at the Department of Justice. So I can back up every word. I'll be glad to do that. And well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh... Wow, wow, and wow again. Uh, Mr. Howell Waltz, we salute you tonight, and I'll tell you where you are. Take a bow for coming up with some solutions. We sat tonight on the beginning of this program that justice, Lady Justice, has gone missing. And the main problem in this country, dealing with mass incarceration, wrongful convictions of the innocent, I'll tell you what, William, he breaks it down to a science and common sense to fix the problem. That was amazing. I mean, that that was just jaw-dropping, the way he had that broken down. I mean, you could... And then he he backed it up with saying, you know, how New York had basically, you know, and other other states... Absolutely. ...basically said, listen, we can't afford to do this. We can't afford... But he said in the first segment, he said, this is a system of mass incarceration. Mass. And he pointed it out, and then he just gave us a solution 
to most of our economic, if not all of our economic. Well, well absolutely, because the money he's talking about, the opportunity uh, money. Yes. Just imagine, Cliff, what our economy would be looking like. What type of motivation would be going on as people are getting their belief back in a system, working, they're feeling like they are relevant and they can contribute. That is what, excuse me, let me quote, Department of Corrections is supposed to be, to correct an issue and let's get these folks back into society, let alone those who should never have been there in the first place. Your thoughts on how's thoughts? Yeah. The fact is that, you know, the, the prison system is supposed to be, you know, uh, a type of reincarnation. The penitentiary is supposed to be to call the person to bring penitence, but it doesn't. It does no rehabilitation. So what Howell is saying is, hey, if let the system work the way that it was designed to work, there you, go. you don't put people in prison for decades and think that's going to do anything better. You know, teach them a lesson. The ones who need to say that have actually committed a crime. And they say, okay, now you get out and better your life, better yourself, and give them some type of tools to say, okay, this is what is going to better you. And the, the stupid things that are criminalized. I mean, like in the IRB 6 case, debt, because you went into debt, you owe some companies money. That gets criminalized. You get locked up for five years. And like you said, you know, instead of the money that they're spending to incarcerate them, they could have imagine the sales that they made and the amount of taxes they could have paid to the uh, federal government for their sales. It's like, okay, then they would be contributing Absolutely. instead of you have them locked up and are and spending taxpayer dollars for absolutely nothing for a crime that was never committed. Well, not only are they contributing to the, to, to the federal government, they're keeping the homeland safe. Right. Let's not miss that point. That's right. We're talking about protecting our children, our children's children, the future of this country. Just add that on top of what Howell is saying. It's a no-brainer. That's what we need to do. Who are the RP6? They are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. These, as Howell said, should have statues built in their honor for their service and spirit to protect the nation. We're coming right back with the final segment interview with Arthur and I'll tell you God is making a difference and speaking it like it is Mr. Howell Waltz coming right back on the other side of the break do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent the United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit if you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. 
This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. Tonight's topic, Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration Here in America. And the author of that, of that book is Hal Waltz. And I'll tell you what, he's put some information down tonight, William, that I'll tell you, uh, it, it gets me very excited that this man has committed, uh, through his experience, to impact this nation. And I'll tell you what, if any of those things are implemented that Mr. Howell Waltz is talking about, we're talking about a drastic change in our criminal justice system, hopefully coming. Yes, I mean, that would actually turn everything uh, right, right side up, you know, from where it is today. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal how he took his experience 
and said, listen, I'm going to impact others. I'm going I'm to expose this system for what it is and, and what it did to him and his family that led him to actually move to Eastern Europe. Um, is, but, it, but what he did, you know, just breaking down awesome. <laughs> those numbers, it was just fascinating. Well, we're, gonna, we're not going to delay the final segment uh, with Mr. Howard was a privilege and an honor to have him uh, on this show. Let's go to the final segment of that interview. Howard Waltz, author of Justice Restored, that continues right now. But I, if, if we have the president's attention or can get it, let's, can we talk about one more thing uh, about the long term of how someone could become the national hero and cement themselves into the political landscape for life. And I think back to when I was a child, I remember the 1964 Voting Rights Act, and I'm telling my age now, uh, and the Civil Rights Act of 64. And I'm thinking of the years growing up, though, every black American I knew was a very proud associate with the Republican Party, because that was the party of Lincoln. That was the party that you know, was supposed to set them free in 1865. Now, after that passage of those acts, every single black friend I had, an associate and person I knew, overnight became a Democrat. Why? Because the Democrats came through with something real that re-enfranchised them gave them back the rights they had under the Constitution and made them real. Now imagine what could happen if some politician were bright enough to realize, wait a minute, we've pushed 70 plus million Americans, one out of four, out of the system. They can't vote. They have to pay taxes, but they can't access a lot of the programs. We have completely created this massive underclass. Well, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to reenfranchise those people. Can you imagine the results of the next election? Oh, absolutely. I don't care. I don't care if they ran Alfred E. Newman. You know, he'd be my guy for life, and I'd be in his party, the Mad Magazine Party, forever. And I would encourage every child and grandchild to support that party, just like Black Americans have the Democratic Party. They went from overnight being almost 100% Republican to being almost 100% Democrat. So we don't have to speculate what happens when people are treated fairly, honestly, and with respect. We have a history, and it works. And Mr. Trump was smart enough to do this. Again, a very good business decision. You'd have to blow him out of Washington with dynamite. He would never be allowed to leave because if you think about 70 million Americans being given the right to vote, they're going to vote for the man who gave them back that right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm blown away and I'm still, and you have to forgive me, I'm still blown away on the, on the analysis you broke down, opportunity, money for the incarcerated. Now, Let's just take the numbers of those that have been wrongfully blue-collar, excuse me, white-collar crimes. A lot of these people are not violent offenders. And 
The fact of the matter is, I believe we have an overzealous prosecution, a U.S. attorney's office, that simply has nothing better to do than to go after and attack businesses who are trying to make a name for themselves. It doesn't take away those that may be in the industry that are doing corrupt things. We know they exist, but you have to do every case on a case-by-case basis. And the RP6 case, as you've alluded to, had absolutely no criminal intent, whereas the judge didn't even allow the definition of intent to be presented to the jury. To say, wait a minute. I've read the entire case. There was not only no criminal intent, excuse the double negative, there was no criminal conduct. It's not a crime to not pay your suppliers when you don't have the cash flow yet, but are right on the cusp of it. That's not a crime. This, the whole case is just horrid and it had to be written about. And, and I, I'm so glad that, that they allowed me to and honored me in fact, with, with putting that story in justice restored. And I've gotten so many emails and, and, you know, people saying, please tell me that this isn't true, that these guys were helping save our national security and they did this to them. What kind of prosecutor and judge could this be? Well, the, the average normal kind, I guess, from my own experience. I mean, I ran a financial firm and they cost me millions of dollars. I paid millions in taxes and you know, they're not getting anything now because they destroyed me and my business. So I'm very sympathetic with the IRP6 because you know, I had the same thing done to me and it's got to stop. And let's, let's, I think we need to focus on this financial argument because we have not gotten any attention or action from any of these political people based on compassionate arguments that should have won the day. So I guess we need to change up our game. Well, and I, we're definitely going to do that. Uh, we're going to actually uh, be uh, uh, probably in, in our nation's capital uh, frequently uh, as these battles continue to be fought. And this information is going to be brought. I appreciate that. And it makes like, it's that it makes perfect sense. You said President-elect Trump is in a position who can understand if nothing else, can understand the business aspirations of those of, of the entrepreneur spirit in this country. He's understanding what corporate debt is. He understands what it means when that happens. It doesn't mean you intended to do anything wrong. And perhaps, as you have said, the silver, is it the silver lining is, is how you say it, how you word it? We're looking for that silver lining. Oh, you know the city of it, it, oh, oh, for Donald Trump, uh, yes, that this this could be the sil- silver lining, and especially because he doesn't owe anybody anything. Any, that's awesome. His net worth is greater than that of many nations, and we are now spending. I, d- I just looked this number up yesterday, so this is fresh. But our spending to destroy American lives, $350 billion, I'll break it down in case the prosecutors are listening, it's $80 billion Attorney General Eric Holder said we're spending on mass incarceration. $270 billion is what we spend putting people there. $350 billion. There are only 32 nations in the world, think of all of Europe and all of these rich nations, only 32 nations in the world have a budget for their nation 
that exceeds what we are spending to destroy Donald Trump's tax base. Well, that's, well, that's I mean, it's monumental. What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, those numbers alone, and like I said, you know, and the reason you, you cited, uh, I believe it was New York uh, that let so, so many people, or I believe it was New York maybe, it let so many people out and there was no repeat offenders there. These were people who had a number of cases. And what I said all the time doing my wrongful conviction here in the state of Colorado is that I'm very much aware that it doesn't take two life sentences. It doesn't take 40 years. It doesn't take 20 years in prison for people who have maybe broken the law to get the message. And that's where you have outrageous sentencing, another problem in this country. And we believe, like you said, on the financial side of this argument, uh, we have a, uh, a president that can set precedents based upon his history uh, in the business world and his successes there. And uh, we're going to be hopeful for that. Uh, Hal, we appreciate you today. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Uh, this, is, this is awesome. Uh, and what you share with us today, and ladies and gentlemen of America, go out and get justice restored by Hal Waltz. I tell you, it's a read that will, it will bring to your knowledge and to your understanding the things that we face and the challenges we face as a country and what is necessary to institute the change that we need to bring uh, to this nation in the criminal justice system uh, and in, the, in the, all of the issues that we're dealing with, whether your loved ones, are, you are affected if you have loved ones that are incarcerated. And Hal, I'll tell you this, there's not too many people that I run into that I talk to and somewhere along the way, I don't hear a story of where a system them wrong. Well, I guess that's how Justice Restored got to be a number one bestseller. I was, nobody was more surprised than me. So, you know, they're, they've built a market for such a book, apparently. But now let's do something about it. I've assigned all of the income from the book to the International Center for Justice to try to fight all of this. So I'm not making any money on it. But let's keep this fight going until we win it. And... And again, I'm putting my head on right because for four to eight years, it'll be eight if if they listen to us, Lamont, this man is going to be running this country. And we need to tailor our arguments to his ear, and I think we can get it done. And I hope the first people he lets go are the IRP6 because they don't deserve to be where they are. And maybe, how it may be an idea, and this is just something I'm, I'm saying just off the cuff. Uh, perhaps you and I can work together on putting some type of uh, uh, letter together to President-elect Trump uh, and work together on your knowledge, of course, can help and put these numbers together and say, look, take a look, President-elect Trump. And maybe we can get it in the hands of the people that definitely know, again, his mindset when it comes to business. And I believe may very well produce some uh, yield, some fruit for us that what we're trying to find for the justice of the IRP6. I would be honored and pleased to do so, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you and a just cause for the last few years, and I hope we continue this relationship for many to come. We will, Hal. Thank you so much. And uh, do you have my email to send me some of that information? Uh, give it to me, and I'll make sure I have it. Okay. It's L Banks. That's the initial L is in Lima. Banks, B-A-N-K-S, at A hyphen. Just calls, J-U-S-T-C-A-U-S-E dot com. Right. 
All right. All right, sir. I'll send you that tonight. Give me all an right. hour and I'll turn my notes into something you can read. We appreciate it, Hal. Take care and, and the best wishes and God bless. Thank you, sir. And same to you. Happy New Year. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Hal Waltz, the author of Justice Restored. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, he brings a perspective to President-elect Trump and answers that may be laying in the wings, if you will, for justice, who we know as the IRP6, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, perhaps on the horizon of freedom. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice. 
And I'll tell you, we bring it all around the world, and tonight is no exception, as we've been talking about Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration in America, and I'll tell you, I am overwhelmed and very delighted and honored that Mr. Howell Waltz came on this program, gave us some insight that, I'll tell you, opened our eyes to a lot of things, and Cliff, it's refreshing to have an ally, if you will, that is seeing the same vision that we see to bring justice to America, but sincerely engaged, not only with our P6, but justice as a whole being brought to the fiber, the fabric rather, of this country. It is critically important. Your thoughts on the interview with Mr. Waltz? Yeah, I mean, you have to have people who have the uh, same mindset, the, the same goal, the same dream that you have for things to, to get going. I mean, he, like you said, you know, he's a uh, financial uh, fi- finances background and he breaks those numbers down to anybody that hears it says okay that completely makes sense if you say you know you don't want anybody out of jail for some stupid reason but then you look at okay this is how much could be put into the into the economy wow. of America man just by you know ending mass incarceration then like you say you know being the president that says look we're gonna we're gonna let people out that need to be out and we're going to reinstate your voting rights you you'll you'll be president again because well, without you, question you let you let seven million people uh out they're going to vote for you come next election so he uh he really has some some great ideas a real grasp and understanding of the entire situation and like he said he has studied the irp6 case absolutely and when he looks at it uh, just like you said, there's not only is there no intent of crime, there was no crime committed. There you and go. and no we conduct. have had so many people say, how did a prosecutor take this in front of a judge? And how did a judge, how did Judge Christine Arguello ever allow this to go to trial uh, with just the, there is no case. Wow. But when you have the corruption, you can take, you can take thin air. That's why they say they can, uh, they can indict a ham sandwich and put it in prison. No, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen of America, go to your nearest bookstore, whether it's Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you buy your books. Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End Mass Incarceration in America. How Waltz is the author, and I'll tell you what, you just heard a piece of of this. So I'll, I'll tell you again, get out there, get this book, take it to your neighbors, take it to your schools. I mean, any educational institutions, colleges, campuses, put this book in the hands of people that are looking for a future in America to be better than where it is right now. And and this is just a reality. The criminal justice system in this country, you can't mix your words with it. They're in trouble. And I think Hal gives a compelling argument, William, uh, to just to that fact. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and he lays it out so perfectly. I mean, you can't even dispute it. You can't even dispute it. I mean, he just, it's just amazing. amazing. Yeah, people need to actually pick this up and and understand, you know, what he is saying. He's presenting it to you and to, he's presented it to us based on his own experience and what happened. So, I'm glad to, uh, that he was able to be on the show. Oh, absolutely. Dennis, your thoughts on, on this man? Uh, our friend and a, a champion, really, for justice, uh, Howard Waltz, doing some, some big things. It's just awesome. And, two, it's not about, for him, it's not about dollars. It's, a, it's truly about justice reform. 
because he says he, he donates that money that he makes off the book, uh, which is commendable in itself. You know that uh, I want you to really know and understand that this is truly about uh, fixing our justice system, nothing else. Absolutely. Uh, very special thanks to Hal Waltz uh, for taking time out of his busy schedule to give us an exclusive interview. Uh, justice restored, 10 steps in mass incarceration. Hal, take a bow. We appreciate you and the work that you do. Right now, we turn our focus to what you didn't know about the RP6. That starts right now. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. 
when they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to sentence. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. What you didn't know about the RP6. Tonight we take a look at something very interesting, and the question is this. Why didn't federal judge Christine Arguello recuse herself in the federal criminal case of the IRP Solutions Corporation? Now, I'll tell you right now, the IRP6 case concerns, of course, the IRP6. David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Now, court records show that prior to commencement of trial, David Banks, Chief Operating Officer for the IRP Solutions, filed a pro se motion requesting that Judge Christine Arguello recuse herself due to her personal relationship with Holland and Hart, Attorney Greg Goldberg. Court records also show that on March 8, 2004, Greg Goldberg hand-delivered a letter to Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch requesting that the IRP six executives be criminally charged and articulated what statutes they should be prosecuted under. Court records show that Judge Arguello denied the motion to recuse herself, and the judge stated that she did not know Mr. Goldberg that, went that well. However, a Denver Post article presented a contradictory view of that relationship. The Denver Post quoted Greg Goldberg in a congratulatory statement as saying, I know Christine Arguello well. As we visit this topic tonight, we have a judge that perjured herself and blatantly lied. 
said that she did not know Mr. Goldberg, but yet he stated he knew her. And thus the argument why she needed to recuse herself is the question. Now, when you look at the situation, Cliff, now you have a definitely conflict of interest. But how does a citizen hand deliver an indictment or a suggestion of an indictment and charges to be brought to a U.S. attorney, basically doing the job of the U.S. attorney, the U.S. attorney? How is that even possible? Well, that is what is called interference in a a criminal case. You do not have a private attorney. And, and it's one thing to say, okay, the attorney brings something and says, look, maybe you need to look into these people. But in the case of the IRP-6, you had the FBI agents passing uh, case material back and forth between themselves and, and uh, Goldberg, Greg Goldberg of Holland and Hart, who is a – I mean, he is a just a citizen. He is not a member – of the federal justice system. So he has no business no in right. anything that's going on. Period. But yet you have this information. You have this irrefutable evidence. I mean, you have fax paperwork from the FBI to Goldberg's office that says, yes, they sent this paperwork to him. George Arguello does absolutely nothing about it. And and uh, just like you were you were saying, when it was brought to her attention, that you need to recuse yourself. You're too close to the situation. Now, a judge is needs to recuse themselves from a case, their uh their their creed, their uh, you know, their oath, if there is the implication of of uh the if there's the implication of impropriety to ensure the public trust a judge must, not should, not maybe a judge must recuse themselves to ensure the public trust in the federal justice system. That is the law. Right. How Judge Christine Arguello gets away with not recusing herself. And, and most of the time, judges will recuse themselves voluntarily. They'll say, I know someone in this case. I work for this law firm that's bringing this suit against you. I am recusing my, myself so that the public cannot say right. that I had a conflict of interest. When a judge is asked to recuse themselves, it is almost, almost never heard of that a judge says, no, I'm not going to recuse myself from this case. Well, we said it before. I'll say it again tonight. Judge Christine Arguello has no integrity. What you're talking about, Cliff, are judges with integrity. And, and it goes to this, the perception, just the perception, the look that this may be uh, interpreted in one way or another, it, it calls for a judge to do the ethically uh, correct thing. Uh, and I quote Dave Zappolo, one of the RP6. He says, I believe Judge Arguello's friendship with Greg Goldberg and ties to Holland and Hart contributed to our eviction. Judge Arguello is human, and feelings from personal relationships have an impact on one's thought process. William, that's not unreasonable. That is absolutely the truth. Your thoughts? No, I, absolutely. I mean, Cliff had said it, and it's true. If you have that kind of personal relationship, where an attorney can actually walk an indictment and hand it to you, it's unbelievable. I mean, that that to me is like jaw-dropping because where did this come from? I mean, you have to kind of – you have to consider the source. But also, when it is brought to to the judge's attention, why did she not do it? And she already knew this. She already knew the relationship was there. She knew the form of the indictment. The guy walked up and gave it to her. So she can't. 
say that. You know, she didn't know him or there wasn't that kind of personal relationship. Well, the, and the, it, the contradiction is already there. there. Folks, stay tuned for what you didn't know about the RP6s. This gets deeper and deeper into this, this whole process of this wrongful conviction of the RP6. Lisa, there are perpetrators of gestures, excuse me, perpetrators of justice in this case that are responsible for the wrongful conviction of these men. Who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, Former Federal Agent John Epstein, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreads, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Ward, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. A very special thanks to Howell Waltz taking time out of your schedule. Uh, Howell, thank you so much. Our hats are off to you. We appreciate all that you do. Ladies, go get the book, Justice Restored, 10 Steps to End, Ten Steps to End Mass Incarceration in America. Go get it today. It's a must-read. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. Until next time, this is AJC Radio signing off. Mr. Speaker, I rise today to implore my fellow congressmen to wake up. Can't we see what's happening? In just the past month, we discovered that the NSA is snooping on millions of innocent Americans using the Patriot Act. But Congress wrote the Patriot Act. The IRS is targeting conservative organizations using the tax code. But Congress created the tax code. And the DHS has stockpiled 200 million hollow point bullets. Congress just funded the DHS last week. You want me to be surprised? I'm not surprised. I'm outraged. But what's happening here? In each case of executive overreach, Congress gave an inch, and the executive branch took a mile. When our civil liberties are stolen, Congress investigates and expresses righteous indignation, but all too often, Congress then turns around and funds and enables this unconstitutional behavior. If we don't reverse this trend, we can kiss our civil liberties goodbye. The Constitution embodies American principles that men and women fought and died for to protect. We swore an oath to protect it. Mr. Speaker, I encourage my colleagues to reflect on the damage that CISPA, the Patriot Act, and the NDAA have wrought on our civil liberties.